Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosses of your intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm once again joined by Michelle Regalado-Dietrich. Michelle lives with her family on an 80-acre farm in southeast Michigan, where she cares for a large organic garden, an orchard, and a 20-acre native prairie surrounded by stands of native trees. For the past two seasons, her family has been unable to plant on most of their farm. This has continued to fuel her interest and concern about the environment and climate change. Michelle is also a poet, a community advocate, an elected official, and an activist for the environment, small farm rights, women, and fair wages. She was served as vice chair of Washtenaw County Commission. In 2016, she ran successfully as a Democrat for the Washtenaw County Board of Commissioners. She was also elected to the Democratic National Committee and was subsequently elected as Midwest representative to the DNC Women's Caucus. At the Democratic National Committee's meeting in San Francisco in August, the party approved establishing the Environmental and Climate Council. This DNC council was a culmination of months of work garnering support from 50-plus DNC co-sponsors to ensure passage of a founding resolution and whipping votes. Michelle leads the DNC Environmental and Climate Council team as its chairwoman. The council is here to further the Democratic Party's commitment articulated in the party platform to tackle the climate crisis and protect our earth, air, and water. Michelle, welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm doing wonderfully. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, you aren't new to the game. I mean, you have run for office. You've been involved. You have cared about the environment. I mean, you live on a farm, you know. Um, You have an organic garden. You know, you take care of native prairies. So I was not surprised as I watched things going on in San Francisco that you were there talking about the climate crisis, protecting our earth, air, and water. It didn't go totally like what we had hoped, but what was the conversation like in San Francisco, and how aware are people, I mean, how concerned are they about this? Uh, first of all, you are so right about, you know, living on a farm and being aware of what's happening uh, Of our 80 acres, 40 acres uh, couldn't be planted this year because it never dried out enough to plant. Mm -hmm. And this has happened all across the Midwest. Uh, So, you know, and rusts and strain, new insects uh, attacking people's orchards. So especially, you know, owners of small and and medium-sized farms, and we have a lot of those here in Michigan, are really feeling the brunt of this in part because most of the government aid that we hear about 
you know, sort of government subsidies to help farmers through tough years doesn't go to farmers like us. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, eventually we're all going to feel this at the supermarket and our food prices. um, But obviously there's a lot of other concerns with so many communities, and particularly communities of lower income and communities of color, um, bearing the brunt of the climate disasters that are happening both here in, and internationally and the hurricanes and the flooding. and So it was interesting to me at the DNC meeting in San Francisco at the end of August that I think that because of, in part of people becoming really aware of the news stories that are happening and that awareness being spurred in turn by a lot of the really great activism led by youth and also by elders, by people who've been in the environmental movement for decades, that there was a general acceptance that I had not sensed before, even as recently as February, that, you know, this is an issue that we have to deal with, um, that is necessary morally and politically to deal with. And so that was a good change. Um, and I first proposed a climate and environmental council for the DNC um, just in conversation starting back last January. I did not get a warm reception at first from um, many people in leadership positions, but that um, conversation changed over time. And I think the activism of Sunrise and our revolution in the Sierra Club and uh, Climate Hawks, so many other organizations that were really saying we need a climate debate, we need the candidates to address these issues, because I think it became crystal clear, um, again, both the moral and the political and the pragmatic. We all, we all want our children and grandchildren to have a planet they can live on comfortably, um, reasons for taking the climate issues seriously. And so um, in the end, DNC staff were, uh, I want to give credit where it's due, they were incredibly helpful um, in the end with uh, forming this council. Um, Gave me uh, assistance with writing good bylaws, um, a lot of back and forth, and and, uh, I learned a lot from them. And, you know, giving us space and the ability to organize on kind of a short turnaround time in the end. And um, I was concerned that we were not going to be able to pass and the resolution that authorized this council. But thanks in part, again, to the activists who helped me with reaching out, we had over 50 DNC co-sponsors from all over the country. Uh, as you can imagine, the, the DNC members in places like Puerto Rico and the Eunice Virgin Islands mm-hmm. were especially enthusiastic. But anyway, so we got it passed, and I'm... We're all of two weeks old, so we haven't done miracles yet, (laughs) but but we have a lot of of, uh, plans, and we're doing outreach already to um, state and uh, local party, uh, Democratic Party organizations, to encourage them to form their own environmental uh, councils and caucuses, and I am proud to say that there is a county in Maryland that has already formed an environmental uh, caucus uh, inspired by us. So um, wow. we're all done. We, we're, we have success. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was so heartening to hear that. Um, mm-hmm. And we want to bring everyone together and coordinate, uh, continue to push for this to remain an issue within the DNC in our national uh, platform, which will be created next summer associated with the 
uh, National Nominating Convention in Milwaukee um, and uh, at, at the state party level as well. You know, it's like, it's like what you're saying. I mean, we've seen almost like the evolution of environmental issues from like, okay, well, you need to recycle to where, I mean, it, it touches so many things. You know, we're not seeing, we're, I'm seeing more people who are planting things so that they can keep butterflies, you know, help the yeah. butterfly population. You weren't able to plant. You see more people, they talk about the toxic blooms in the Great Lakes, and, you know, it's more than winters are warmer, and, and you know, we see ice caps melting. And so it seems like, you know, you know, water levels rising. So it seems like there's no place that it's not touching. And I'm glad to hear that that was on there because, you know, we still have that other party that has, like, climate change deniers who are denying the science and, and to me, are denying what's really right in front of them in their own front and backyard. So, I mean, I mean that's, like, to me, like a really stark difference in your home community. You know, and as you're going around talking about it, because like I said, you've been talking about this for a while. Are you seeing that, yeah, there's party lines, but as people are looking at some of this stuff, that it's crossing party lines, it's concern about the environment? Yes, which is such good news. I think you're absolutely right, Michelle. It, the, the awareness that these are not just isolated weather events, but part of a much bigger trend is uh, spreading and it's becoming accepted. And, you know, you actually, uh, I get the Michigan Farm Bureau news. And uh, for a long time, this was not something that was being generally accepted uh, or written about there. It is now. Um, and that's, that's a huge movement if what, you know, we might call big ag is starting to see how it's, and, and even their lobbying organizations are accepting that this is an issue. Um, and I, I really think this is an issue that we can coalesce around within the Democratic Party um, and also a lot of independent voters and even some Republicans can coalesce around climate issues. And... Um, it's an area of stark contrast, but it's also um, an area, the climate issues, where you can um, reach out to people who have different foci. I mean, we had a lot of uh, Obama voters who didn't vote Democrat, right? Either they didn't turn out okay. or they, they crossed what over and, and voted for the other side. We had in 2016, and I'm thinking now to 2020, what do we need to do different? We had uh, young voters who uh, didn't turn out as much as we could hope. Um, we had uh, environmentalists as a block, um, sad to say, actually have lower voting rates than a lot of other uh, left-leaning groups. And, uh, and some voted green and in the presidential election. Um, when I look at all of those, and, and also we had a lower voting rate among uh, black and Latinx voters in uh, November 2016 than we'd had in the previous election. So the thing about 
climate is that when we think of it as I do in the context of addressing it with in America with a Green New Deal, you know, the Green New Deal is about environmental justice. Um, it is about jobs, and mm-hmm. uh, it is about a, dealing with this issue, which for many of our young voters is one of their top two issues. Um, so I think if we're smart, we take the Green New Deal idea as a gift um, and also, as I said again, um, we have this moral responsibility, which is so mm-hmm. obvious if, to me and to you, but um, and we take it and then we message with it um, at a state and a local level. So Detroit could be the engine of the Green New Deal. This, um, mm-hmm. and other cities in the industrial Midwest, um, we, we are addressing those frontline communities dealing with climate changes on coasts. Um, we're dealing so that that is what my recommendation is. Uh, one of my main recommendations is for for Democratic candidates and for our eventual nominee. When you went to when you were in San Francisco, and I know that you've gone to other uh, DNC, you know, meetings and things, but do you see? It different. I mean, are you seeing more women, more young people, more people of color there than in the past? And not just you know, and then and taking decision making roles or having really having their voice heard because you know I know that I hear particularly young people and people of color who go like, well, I don't like either party. Neither party is listening to us or hearing what we're going through. Are you seeing? Is that changing? The DNC, as an institution, you know, the 400-plus of us who are elected out-of-state parties in different ways, is changing. Um, and the main way I see it changing is that as over, over time, as, you know, these are four-year terms, as more people are getting elected, we are electing some younger people, but more people who I would say lean, who are progressive. And, you know, of those of us who are fighting for a climate debate, there's, you know, the core group who is really out there, and then there are obviously, you know, 100 and almost 200 members who voted for it. Um, a lot of those people tend, not all, for sure, because uh, mm-hmm. there were people like Christine Pelosi who were all in, who've been in the DNC a long time, Larry Cohen, Jim Zogby, but uh, the, um, who's the director of the Arab American Institute. But a lot of us were newer DNC members like me. I've only been on there two and a half years. Um, one of the things that I did in creating this DNC Environment and Climate Crisis Council was I was very intentional in addressing the issues that younger people um, and people of color and to some extent women are um, not heard, don't feel heard because they're not heard. Uh, mm-hmm. And so... Um, for example, we have a seat reserved for a member of the DNC Black Caucus. There's a seat reserved for the member of the Native American and the Latinx Caucus. Um, we have a seat for labor. Um, we have a youth member who can't be more than uh, – so this is the DNC's definition of young is you can't be more than 30. Uh, and <laughs> I <see> someone from <laughs> – I know, mm-hmm. at first I was going to do like 24, and they said, nah, we're not going to have anyone. We've got a member of the Sunrise Movement who was elected to that position as our youth director. So – um, I would like to say that within the, the, this council, we are directly 
addressing and being really intentional about making sure those voices are heard. We're also intentional about making sure people, we have geographic diversity since the climate issues vary so much over the country and the territories. So we have, uh, you know, someone from the Midwest, we have someone from the West Coast, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so back to young age, who's the oldest person on the council? Uh, let's see, not me, so I don't have to reveal my age. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, David, David Green, who's the vice chair um, and of the council, he's also uh, the vice chair of the state of Washington's Democratic Party. I'm guessing he's the oldest, and I, I don't know. But uh, we've got uh, the, the four elected officers we have so far, and because we're still filling the rest of the positions. Um, we have uh, uh, diversity in terms of the LGBTQ community. In fact, I'm the only cisgender member elected, uh, as they mm-hmm. like to tease me. Um, we have pe- two people of color, um, you know, people from the Midwest, people from the West. So, and, and we've got the age diversity, too. I think Dee mm-hmm. Garcia from California, who was elected, is you know, like 26. So mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. the youngster. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and that's because, you know, often you hear, I mean, you know, like, oh, you'll, you'll hear elders saying, oh, we can't work with those millennials, or one group saying that they aren't. But, you know, this environmental and climate crisis that we have, I mean, we're all on this one beautiful globe. So we have to get over that. And, you know, did you find it was easy to sort of like say to everyone, you know, we all have to be here together and hear each other's voices, but also hear and respect each other's differences because, you know, clearly, I mean, what might be of, of a, you're all concerned about the environment, but how it's expressed in one generation might be different or one community is different from another. Was that easy to negotiate or is that a work in process? So within the council, I think it's been relatively easy because the people who are, came to the meeting. And by the way, you, know, you don't have to be a DNC member to be a member of this council. Certain positions can only be held by DNC members, but uh, we have two of our elected officers are not DNC members. So Basically, everyone who came to our meeting and who's signed up so far, I think, has generally that same perspective that you've expressed so eloquently, Michelle, which is that we are going to have different aspects of this, different perspectives, but our overall goal is the same. And so, um, you know, we may disagree maybe on priorities or we may disagree on nuclear energy or depending on where we're coming from, whether we build seawalls first or windmills first, but we generally are just unified around this, the priority of this and making it happen um, and making sure that the Democratic Party uh, continues every day to see every decision it makes through an environmental lens. Um, I think um, more generally in the DNC that is not as – much the case. And there are, I mean, clearly we had a majority of people who voted against the climate debate. And even though compromises were um, put forward, I I and others had put forward the idea that we could have several issue-based debates because I understand the perspective that, you know, immigration and racial justice and gun safety and some other issues are also really important. 
Um, but, you know, I'll just give you an example. We, we had a, a DNC member who is a lobbyist for the gasifier industry, which is not what I would view as a positive environmentalist uh, industry, tried to run for vice chair. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's still there for sure. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah. I know that C- <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. yeah. well, good. Well, that, that's good. You know, so I know that um, CNN did one did a. I mean, and I noticed that it wasn't you know wasn't that big group of people, but they had one uh, climate, I guess for lack of a debate. Are there others planned like specifically like that? And how was did you was the CNN debate planned before this this council? And the resolution came about. So that the so the CNN it was a, a um, and uh, it was planned, I think, as a result of the fact that the DNC leadership was not budging on the idea of there being a climate debate where they were all on the same stage at the same time talking with each other, and that CNN town hall which happened. Um, just a few days ago, I think on the 5th, was seven hours long. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, I, I watched it. Um, I thought it was wonderful, but I also know viewership was extremely low, uh, just hovered yeah. above 1 million viewers. Um, and I know a lot of people who are policy wonks who didn't watch it. There's a certain amount of privilege involved in being able to watch something for seven hours. There is another uh, climate town hall coming up at Georgetown University, um, and it will include all the candidates. So I believe that one of the uh, Republican challengers to the current president is actually going to be speaking. And uh, I think that that will be interesting and good. Everything we can do to get more talk. I was disappointed last night by the ABC uh, Mm -hmm. debate. There was a single climate question. It came two hours into it. A lot of people Mm -hmm. on the East Coast were already in bed, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You noticed that too? Yeah, I was um, waiting. I kept waiting, 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 you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then not even everyone got to answer it, including, you know, Bernie Sanders, who's – this is one of his main issues. So and, – and I think they gave Kamala Harris 45 seconds, which, I mean, mm-hmm. how can she, – she can't, she can't explain her, her position in 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. So um, I was really disappointed, especially given that we know many people couldn't make the time to watch the seven-hour form. Um, and there are some really big – unanswered questions about the differences um, between the candidates. When we've got plans for the climate that range from 1.7 billion to almost 17 billion, tenfold difference, we don't understand yet, you know, why that, why that huge difference. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, they all sound good, you know. Uh, they all, you know, they're all saying the right things, which is good. We're going to you know, go get back into the Paris Climate Accord. We're going to bring our emissions down to net carbon neutral uh, by 2050 or sooner. But that big a price tag difference, there's got to be some really serious differences in the plans, I think, um, that, the, that the American voters deserve to have those differences explained in the media. So I'm looking forward. There's still time. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take our first break here. I want to talk about the resolution and then go back to that debate. So we'll be right back.
and we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and we're talking with my very good friend, Michelle Regalado-Dietrich. Now, the resolution, you said that a lot of people worked on it and you tried to be, you know, put, a, put thoughtful about it. What exactly is a resolution, and what does it, is it just, just words on the paper, or what's the power behind it? Uh, that's a really good question. So there was the resolution by the DNC that authorized uh, the council. And, um, the, and then we came up with a, a lengthy set of bylaws because we're Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, well, I think there's both sort of what in presidential politics we call soft power and hard power to this council. Um, the soft power is that it, it's a bully pulpit. Um, we, you know, we're, we're, again, we're two weeks old, but we've got social media started up, and we are engaging in the conversation. And you may, if you check out our page on Facebook, the DNC Environmental and Climate Crisis Council page, you're going to see later today um, and a post where we weigh in with our thoughts some of which you've already heard from me, uh, about uh-huh. the current state of the climate town halls and debates and, and what voters need next. Um, and, and that's powerful. We also have a collaborative ability in terms of, because we are the DNC, the national party's uh, entity, being able to reach out and collaborate with state party organizations and help encourage them to form. Um, and we are working with the DNC on thinking about after we have our nominee, um, how do we ensure that we do better uh, job with voter outreach and voter turnout with uh, environmentally motivated voters? And so we're going to be doing briefings, um, helping to connect that candidate uh, with uh, the environmental leaders in the various states. And I think that's crucial. Um, We've got to win this election. Um, and these were things, you know, the environmental vote was enough, by uh-huh. easily enough to make the difference in those key states of Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, where a lot of people in Wisconsin voted green, enough that we could have won it, um, Pennsylvania, and to some extent, Ohio. So, um, so and, and because we're a DNC organization, going back to what we can do more internally, so we're hoping to help green DNC operations. I think Democrats ought to walk the talk. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to press so hard that we spend a lot of money and that we need for winning the presidential election, but over time we should make our own operations net carbon neutral. Um, and we could think about how the convention could be more environmentally responsible. And I think there's a lot of uh, positive uh, response to that idea within the party. And then there's the party platform next summer. So um, we would like to see that party platform ne- discussed in a transparent and open way so that not just environmentalists but people with, with expertise um, and thoughts based on experience for about all the issues can have input, and it happens in the public um, forum. So, and, th- and that, that platform, you know, I think some people think, oh, well, it just gets shoved in a drawer and locked away. But um, if we have, as I certainly hope, a Democratic president, that's that president's platform. So obviously they're going to have a lot of input into that, whoever our nominee is. But 
it's also very much a reference document for our Democrats in um, the House of Representatives and in the U.S. Senate. So um, I think that's a, a really important place where we can we can have a voice. Do you think that the, by by having the councils and 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 I'm hoping that every state decides to pick one up, you know, and say, let's do this and use and use the resolution. But does, do you think that it provides a space where we can have conversations with those who voted for the Green Party and, you know, in a way of reassuring them to sort of say, like, if you come and you vote blue, you're not selling out green you know, and that there's a space for that and that they'll really feel heard. You know, is that is that one of the the hopes of having these councils? Absolutely. Um, yeah. You said that very well. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, bringing together the young people, uh, the people who have voted green, and, yes, making sure they have a place within the party, to express their opinions, and we're also bringing in labor. And, Mm -hmm. you know, labor has legitimate concerns about jobs going forward, and it's a place for people to have the conversations that this party needs to have uh, and to feel reassured and to feel heard and to be heard, (laughs) not just feel Mm -hmm. heard. So, um, yeah, I think that that is crucial. We've got a lot of outreach. We've got a lot uh, on our plate. I'm excited. Um, We're going to be working hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I often think, too, that, you know, okay, we are in a crisis here. And so, you know, you can maybe go from green to maybe aqua, you know, for (laughs) 2020, you know, for 2020. And then, you know, that doesn't mean that it's it's the end of the Green Party, that there'll never be a – I mean, we're not saying, like, you know, just, like, forget about it because, you know, that maybe you want to go back there. But I, it just sort of seems like to me that, you know, we're in a crisis here, and we need conversation. And it is a choice right now between blue or red or orange, as the course may be. You know, I mean, it really is a choice, and it's it's so important that you have these conversations. And, and, you know, Howie Hawkins is, is a, green, a Green Party candidate. Um, I've met with him, talked with him. Uh, by the way, he had big praise for Bernie Sanders' uh, climate plan um, and said so openly. And, and I found that encouraging, not, you know, in the sense that it showed a real openness by a major Green Party candidate to praising the Democratic nominee. And I think... Um, it is true we have we have a mostly two-party system and there is so much at stake in November 2020 I when I was in San Francisco I had the honor of speaking at an event where Annie Leonard who's the um, head of uh, Greenpeace spoke and she said something that I think I agree with about 90 percent because I always have hope but she said this election is so pivotal and if we don't make the right choice meaning not the current president then everything's lost i don't ever think everything's lost but you know there was a pith of truth in that so yeah i i 
I get out there with the green ideas, keep pushing us to the left, but please vote Democrat in November 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you know, it really is because, and I sort of get what she's saying because sometimes I'll be thinking, I'm going like, well, you know what? So everything is sort of interlinked. You know, when you talk about health care, where well, a lot of our health issues come from a bad environment. And, you know, when you talk about jobs, jobs are going away. And that if you fix the environment, a whole lot of things are going to be fixed. But sometimes it's, it's people get in their silos and they don't want to to think about that. I am really encouraged by the fact that you said that you've got union and labor are engaged with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Uh, Larry Cohen, who is uh, the retired president of Communication Workers of America, um, has been incredibly helpful in forming this council. Um, I'm a UAW member myself. I care Mm -hmm. and I fight for uh, workers' rights and uh, will continue to do so within the environmental movement. I, I, uh, I think what people are calling the just transition so that union jobs are not just preserved, but let, let's make sure that these new renewable energy jobs are also union jobs and are good paying with good benefits. Um, hopefully they won't need health care because we're going to have Medicare for all, but mm-hmm. <laughs> other benefits. Um, yeah, I, I do think there's that this is, there's such an opportunity here, and um, I'm hopeful. What do you say to people, you know, now that you've got this council, you know, people hear these things, you know, the Amazon is burning, you know, we're losing land here, the glaciers are melting, you know, the Arctic is melting, sea level. But sometimes, like, we see so much and we hear so much that some people get numb to it and really sort of look at like, hey, you know, I just want to have a job, a good job. You know, I'm concerned about issue A. How do we resensitize them to the environmental issues? When when you um, talk about that, I'm reminded of something that I may have mentioned on a previous show that you were kind enough to, to, to have me on, this idea in poetry of familiarization mm-hmm. and defamiliarization, um, that what language used well can do is to help make us sensitized again, aware of uh, the familiar in a way to make it unfamiliar. So, and, and it's true. I mean, the news every day, there's there's something and you know every july is hotter the hottest july right mm-hmm. 20, 2019 mm-hmm. was the hottest july 2018 was the hottest july before that and you become numb and i think also it's there's numbness and there's also something close to despair that that we can fall into feeling that we can never do enough that our small part isn't enough um and i i well, one way we, we do this is with shows like yours, Michelle. So thank mm-hmm. you, right? Mm-hmm. And and I I do a, a fair amount of public speaking, mm-hmm. and I often reach to poetry because it mm-hmm. helps people think in a different space and in a different way. Um, but I think we also have to keep sharing that news because 
it's actually amazing that four out of five Americans don't. Re- so I live in one sort of social media bubble and news bubble um, where I receive this news all the time, but there are other Americans who don't. Um, a surprising percentage of them, the majority, who are not getting environmental news every day. And so sharing and continuing to speak about it um, with the horror and the hope that it deserves, I think, helps a lot. What do you think? Do you, do you have well, I, I'm, I'm you, all ears about ideas. To, to, well, you, to help. well, you know, yeah. I think that you are so right because, I mean, um, I was in Atlanta, and then I was also here in Detroit. And part of what I was doing was doing poetry. But in the poetry, like you said, it's sort of like I had, when I was here in Detroit, I was doing one part where we talking about, you know, um, thinking about tomorrow, thinking beyond today, and having hope and finding the beauty that's in there. And, I mean, there was a, a young couple that just happened to walk in, and the guy said, you know, that's what I needed to hear. So it's important that, yeah, sometimes we have to get up there and, you know, bring the fire to people, but sometimes we have to use things like poetry, use music, and talk about that to where, like you said, that you're able to find words that touch someone, you know, mm-hmm. and that's so important. And and part of that is finding the venues to do it. So we know the, the global climate strike is, is coming up on the 20th, next Friday, and um, those I've, I've heard some people say we have too many rallies, too many events, people aren't actually getting things done. And, and I've thought very hard about that, and I, and I disagree. And I think that those events in part help desensitize us, to give opportunities for people to hear those words of poetry and of hope and to hear about uh, things they may not know about yet. And what I'm also seeing more and more is that those um, rallies, and I try to do this with rallies I organize, um, they are becoming more than rallies. This particular, I know in Ann Arbor and I believe also in Detroit that the climate rallies are going to be followed by workshops. There's going to be tabling by uh, ally organizations so people can get connected to the movement and keep going with the work after the rally. Mm. So, um, yeah. And, you know, the other thing, when I was in, in Atlanta and we were in a neighborhood and they were talking about, like, um, rehabbing a house, but there was an amazing yard, and we talked about gardens and green space, and we had everyone there from elders to kids to talk about, you know, you don't have to build up everything, and how do you reclaim the earth and growing things, and we even talked about water shortages, and, and you know, how did you, how did you do this, and, and, you know, and to vision, and, and it was like to me, it was so great because in that conversation, some of these these kids who primarily their life had been in the city were able to talk about some other things, and some of them even brought up some of the things they were seeing on the news, talking about other climate crises and recognizing, you know, that it was in their control. And many of them charging those of us who were adults to, like, you know, do something. This is our future. That sounds like a beautiful, beautiful moment. I, mm-hmm. 
one to, one to treasure. And I, it's so interesting to me how the relationship of youth and elders has been reversed uh, from what I've sort of grew up expecting through this uh, engagement with our, our society and our world with the climate crisis um, and with youth taking the lead very much, but also in informing us, but also I've heard so much appreciation from youth um, about something that I say, which is, yeah, um, the youth are taking the lead in informing, and, and, but it's my generation um, and the generations before us that got us here. And so we need to continue to step forward as allies and in support and take leadership also, which is part of this DNC council because, you know, as I mentioned, a youth on the DNC is like in their 30s. So mm-hmm. um, while we're centering youth in part on that council, we, we also have this work to do. And I think it's going to take all of us working together. I, you know, when one thing I'm not sure is always messaged well about this, not 12 years, people keep seeing 12 years, it's only 11 years now before, you know, we think we're reaching a tipping point, is that even if we do everything we're talking about doing in the next 11 years, the world is still irrevocably changed, right? Mm. We, we, what, it's not going to get better than it is now. It will still be at a worse point, just not so much worse that we think that it will be unlivable for large parts of the earth. And um, that reality is the responsibility of all of us to address, as you do. <laughs> you know, I, and I think, you know, and, and it's, it's encouraging when you hear things, when you see countries are saying, like, okay, that they're paying people to plant trees, you know. I mean, people are trying to, you know, I've heard people talk about, like, you know, I don't need to buy anymore, you know, and recycling and reusing, but also, you know, we don't need to build up every single space and how do we co-house. And, like, all of this touches everything, you know, every part of our lives, and that's what's what's so amazing to me. Well, we're going to take a second break, and then, um, well, anyhow, we're going to take a second break. I want to talk briefly about these debates, and moving forward towards 2020. So we'll be right back. Michelle? Okay, and we're back here. Um, Michelle, okay, the debates. First we had the huge one, the two-night one in Detroit. We had the one in Austin, and then I think the next one is in Ohio. We've got all these people here up there, I think, we both mentioned earlier how I watched last night and I was like, when are they going to talk about the environment? When are they going to talk about the environment? And then it was like so quick, yeah. you know, so quick. And it's like, that's it. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, you know, there was, there was time for everyone to say, yes, I care about the environment. Mm-hmm. I, I felt sorry for them actually, because yeah. what can you do in 45 seconds, you know? Exactly. You know, I mean, and, and, yeah, there are some points, you know, if you're not talking about it, how do you look at, at these children, your children, your grandchildren, how do you look in the mirror when you know that you're not addressing it, but you have 45 seconds? 
And that's all you had. You know, that's all anybody had. We need to have a really substantive conversation about this. And, and even going, you know, I would hate to find, based on what we've seen when we get to the convention, that I don't know more about, you know, where somebody stands on the environment and what they're really going to do. I know many people have started to put out papers. Bernie has, Elizabeth Warren has, you know, they've put out really comprehensive things. But what's the message that you're looking for at these, when, as you watch these debates? So stepping back just a little bit, there's, there's sort of three schools of thought about how Democrats should, should message. Um, one is the go after Trump messaging, uh, which our Democratic base likes. There's sort of a second one, which is don't talk at all about Trump and just stand for our values. And there's a third one, which says let's be smart and careful with our anti-Trump messaging. Um, but when you're but don't do it in a way where you're sinking to his level and then also be standing up for our values. And I think that um, all of that applies to people talking about climate and the environment, right? So um, I think that – I'll just be blunt. I don't think that the, the debates so far have done a very good job of showing what is a really great group of candidates – I mean, mm. these are some amazing people who've done amazing things. Whoever your candidate is, if you have chosen one, I mean, everyone I talk to, nearly everyone I talk to says, yeah, but you know, this other person, right, is also, or these three people. So um, I would love to see debates that allowed our candidates to dive into a few issues more deeply, each one of them. And the truth is that even though the DNC has chosen uh, not to negotiate contracts that demand that, you know, these contracts are signed with networks, the networks can still choose to do that. And, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be starting to call out ABC <laughs> on my social media, and we can mm-hmm. put pressure on all of them to allow our candidates to explore and explain their positions much better. And, and I think, um, again, that focusing on the, 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 using the Green New Deal as sort of a framework for how we can address the climate crisis and other environmental issues, and it, it allows us to think of them holistically and intersectionally, that you know, it's about race and it's about income and it's about jobs um, and, and that's an important messaging for those uh, portions of the electorate that voted for Trump. Yes, there was a lot of racism overt uh-huh. undercurrents, but there's also a lot of in- economic fear and economic insecurity, um, and we can speak to that part um, legitimately um, and speaks to our youth. And so using that as the framework, and then also, though, um, not on a national debate stage, um, to a great extent, but to some extent, even there, taking that message down to the state level. And this speaks to another thing that's disappointed me about the debates is that, you know, when it was, the debate was in Detroit, I was expecting questions about the Great Lakes and preserving the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. I was expecting 
why are we having the debates all over the country if we're not using them as an opportunity to explore regional and state-level issues um, and how the candidates' platforms would apply to those states? I think that's crucial. And, you know, all voting, all politics is local, and I think we need to, uh, debates that allow our candidates to speak uh, at a, to those to show how their platforms and their policies apply more specifically to those regional and state-level issues. You know, I thought that, too, because here, I mean, Michigan, they keep saying Michigan is so critical, Michigan is so critical. And here, what, you had two nights. Now, talk about the Great Lakes, you know, talk about, you know, talk about Michigan and the region. I mean, and, and you could talk not only about Michigan, but, I mean, all the, the states that border the Great Lakes. I mean, and that it was like a missed opportunity. It was, yep. And um, I think last night on ABC was a little better, um, but not much. So it was a missed opportunity, and I'm hoping we're going to have, the, as you mentioned, the next debate is going to be in Ohio. I don't think we have the city yet for that, but there's another opportunity. Um, and the Great Lakes are, you know, toxic algae blooms and, and uh-huh. uh, you know, Asian carp, and I, I don't think the rest of the country is aware of it either uh, to, to a great extent, and it's an opportunity to showcase that, but also to showcase these really great candidates and how they would make their policies apply, um, not just nationally, but more specifically, so we're not just getting sound bites. Um, and I'm, when I say that about sound bites, I'm not criticizing the candidates. I think that they're being put in a structure where it's really hard for them to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that on one side they're trying to demonize the Green New Deal? There are some people who seem to me are, are afraid of the Green New Deal, and there's so many uncertainties or lack of information about it. That's an excellent question. Um, I Well, I believe that... To, to much too great of an extent that the Democratic Party has become aligned with corporate interests and that anytime you talk about an enormous transformation of our economy and society like this, you are threatening some of those corporate interests. You're threatening the, the fossil fuel uh, industry, which has enormous influence. Um, and that is part of why it's so important that we take this up. Um, you know, it was, it was several candidates last night. Um, I think Senator Warren and Senator Sanders were uh, among the foremost, but they were certainly not the only ones who talked about corruption or domination of our government um, and party by corporate interests. And the fact that these debates are even being held, they're being run not like by the League of Women Voters, right, mm-hmm. and not, but by corporations, that are making the decisions about the questions is I should give us all all pause because they are they chose not to center climate issues. Um, did I answer your question, Michelle? <laughs> I, no, I, I, do, I really do think that that's it, and I also think uh-huh. that those the fact that the Democratic Party has been seen by many, especially youth, as being so aligned with corporate interests is part of the problem we're having with environmental and youth voter turnout. Mm-hmm. Right, so, you know, and I mean, that's, I think, the other thing that 
as you looked at, you know, the, I mean, like I said, they had a great panel of people. I mean, when they had 20, it was a lot, but here, even like last night with 10, there's still a lot of people, but such a great, and coming from different backgrounds and a lot of different experiences that you didn't get a chance to hear from them. And just like you said, how we should put the whole burden on young people that we have these different generations that we have to do what we have to do to make it able for them to step into those positions. But like I said, you, everybody was so fast, you didn't get to hear that. You know, it's sort of like, well, I mean, I was looking at some slight, one thing, and they said, well, you know, you had some who were old, others who were younger. It's like all of our issue and all of it. And so to see that, to have that kind of conversation, to sort of show that it isn't one generation or the other, it's all generations, all hands on deck. You know, that's important to me as we move into the 2020 elections. It would be nice to see that uh, environmental issues and all the intersectional issues related to it became a really top priority for all voters up and down the age spectrum, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and it is it's crucial because we can't we can't do what we need to do without, as you say, everyone being on deck. Um, it's going to take everyone working together in small ways and in the big ways. A lot of people have talked about this as being, you know, kind of like the war effort in World War II, except in this case, the whole world has to be on the same side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have, I, this is part of why I have hope, because we have all pulled together for other efforts before. Um, but it is going to take a, a willingness to take on some entrenched interests um, in the party and in the government um, and a willingness to kind of step out where we can't always see exactly where our foot is is going to fall in terms of this this big transformation that has to happen and has to happen so fast. By the time 2020 rolls around, it'll be 10 years left, right? As time uh-huh. like it happens. That's not uh-huh. much time. Yeah, especially because, I mean, it would be not much time if everything just stayed as it was, but you have an administration that is going to roll back as much as they can in this one year. You know, I was just, I was just thinking about that, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as, as the previous governor of Michigan did right before mm-hmm. he left office, right, um, especially – in that period of time between the election and, and inauguration, um, I think we can look to see some, well, I would love to be wrong. So, you know, uh-huh. have me on your show in an, a year and a half, and you'll say, Michelle, you were totally wrong. <laughs> but, uh-huh. I, but I think you're right. I think there will be an effort uh-huh. to roll back everything, to make appointments that make it difficult to do what we need to do. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. So lots of work to do. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I would love to see once we get um, – once the dust settles and we have a candidate, first of all, how important it is that, you know, and I've been reading a lot of it, that everybody comes together, you know, and there's a place for everyone in some way, but we all come together behind this candidate and nobody sits it out, you know. Everybody has to sit it out. What do you see 
what's the hardest thing that you see between now and then building up to it, you know, the primaries and everything? What do you see is going to be the hardest amount of work that you're going to have to do? Me personally? Uh, well, well, you and the council. <laughs> and the council. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that the work that we're doing with outreach to communities that care deeply about the environment is, in fact, crucial work for 2020. And it's interesting because when I first started thinking about the council, you know, way back last January, December, I wasn't thinking of it in those terms, but um, I was thinking of it solely in terms of fighting the, the climate crisis. But this is also a way of fighting the climate crisis, just not quite as directly. And I... I think there's a delicate balance between calling for unity uh, too soon. When mm-hmm. I, and, and we saw that, and and letting and the party kind of coming to be very divided. And we saw that tension on stage last night between candidates who were saying we have to all be unified, we just need to elect a Democrat, and candidates who were saying, hey, this is a primary, this is the time when we have to explore. Um, differences and attention between legitimately calling attention to differences in platforms among the candidates, but not doing it in a, I don't know, in a way that is, you know, personal or hostile, like having Mm -hmm. that old fashioned thing, a civil conversation. And that's hard when we're talking about the climate because I will not make any secret of the fact that I think that some of these candidates have much better plans than others, plans that will actually get the work done, and, and others I'm really concerned, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, so I'm watching things carefully, and, you know, as soon as we've got a candidate, um, just like last time, you know, my candidate lost the primary, and I was out there campaigning, um, for Ms. for uh, Hillary Clinton as hard as I could, um, and I will be again. I want to I want to model that no matter how it turns mm-hmm. out. And I I think because of 2016, there's a greater awareness of that need. I, I am hearing a lot of people saying that who didn't necessarily take that position last time because we all thought we were going to win. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we've learned. We have learned. We, we have learned. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think that you do, and that I hope that members of the party and and it, it catches away, you do a lot on campuses with young people. These, their voices, the things that they bring, the things that they see, the passion that they bring into it, and providing them the voice. It's so important, yeah. And it's important that they stay in there. You've got them on your council, like you said. You continue when they want to. They were there for the Planned Parenthood. They're there for the Women's March. They're participating and they're doing it. These are our future leaders, and also they are seeing the world as they do today. Because, like I, you know, we can say, oh, well, you know, we had issues then. But, you know, what they see is their issues are different and they're going forward. It's important to keep them involved. It's also what a is, great pleasure and a privilege, Michelle. Thank you thank for bringing you. this up. I, 
I am. I'm, I'm working with students right now at, at Michigan State and University of Michigan Ann Arbor and, and hope to be reaching out more um, about a number of things, including the environment. And I sometimes think, do they really want to talk to me? Because, you know, I'm like their mom's age. Mm-hmm. But I, I, and, and I ask them that, and I hope they're answering honestly when they say yes. <laughs> they want me there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's been a pleasure to have the opportunity to, you know, to share how to organize things, um, to share the skills, to hear from them, because even over the you know, past four or five years, their concerns change as some of them age out. Um, it's a pleasure to see many of them move into um, you know, working on campaigns, working for state parties, seeing them blossom and bloom. Um, and an interesting thing that someone said to me at the University of Michigan, one student said to me a couple of days ago was that I had the knowledge of, you know, some of the, I had the knowledge of how it was on campus five, six years ago that was really valuable to them. So it is absolutely vital. And I, um, one of the things I'd love to see, this is sort of a tangent, if you'll forgive me, but the DNC meetings used to overlap occasionally with the meetings of the College Democrats, and I would arrange to have dinner with the Michigan College Democrats always to connect with them and learn. I'm hoping that that's, that's stopped happening, and I'm working with some people to try to make it happen again, that we have to um, institutionalize and structure things so that the voices of the elders and the voices of the youth are that they're both hearing each other at every level. So sorry, that's one of my passions no, that we started. I, so. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I, I totally agree with you because, you know, and in their minds are sometimes the keys to it. You know, I was, when I, in fact, when I was in Atlanta, there was um, this young person was doing something on their tablet and they were doing like that. And she said, you know, I want to learn how to do that. She said, we used to have to use a mimeograph machine and we, we couldn't reach people, but how do you do that? And these brains, these are the the answers to the future. We might not see what it is if we stay, you know, looking at it from our lens, but from hearing our history and our experiences, then blending it with their experiences and their vision, the answers might be right closer, you know, on how in 10 years, that maybe we can do something, make something better, you know, than what we, this doom and gloom that if we keep running it the way that we are, is ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember which candidate said this last night, but this idea that this, there are opportunities, good things can come out of uh, our grappling with the climate crisis, I think is... Um, it's not just about giving people hope. I think it is true. And I do think that we need to focus on that. That's part of why I love the Green New Deals, because there is a positive aspect to it, um, not just this news that we get desensitized to. Um, I shouldn't say just, but it, it is hard to take in all the horrible things that are happening and that we can't directly address as individuals. And so having that sense of hope and of the building a movement for more, what's going to happen next around that next mm-hmm. turn um, that could be great um, is, is absolutely crucial. And, yes, it needs 
all of us and the wisdom and the, that tech know-how <laughs> that many of the younger people have. Um, and uh, they're, they're looking 50, 60 years into the future in a way that, um, just full disclosure, at my age, um, I'm looking there, but I won't be around. So <laughs> unless there's a whole other revolution that I don't know about happening. So. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, there's a whole other, uh, who knows, but, you know, <laughs> we'll be there in spirit. <laughs> We will. There go those. There go those two Michelles. You know, we wouldn't. You know, they raise. You know, they raise a lot of hell. But you know, they're here in spirit. So that, that's a, You know, uh, so Michelle, uh, as we're coming to the close, I want to go over. Now you said that you don't have to be a member of the DNC to be part of the Environmental and Climate Council. How do people find out about it? You said there's a Facebook page, and what else? There is a Facebook page, and very soon on that Facebook page will go a, a membership sign-up form so that you can just sign up. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then um, as part of that form is going to be whether you're interested in serving on a committee. So you can apply to serve on one of our committees. Um, so far we have uh, committed – again, we're two weeks old, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're planning a, a youth committee. Um, with that, probably that we're negotiating the age cutoff there, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and we'll have probably an outreach committee. And if people want to propose other things, they should speak up. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's the way to do it. Go to the Facebook page, and uh, people are also welcome to email me. I'm Michelle at michelledetrick.com. Michelle with two L's, Dietrich, D-E-A-T-R-I-C-K.com. And I would welcome be your being in touch. Well, I think that's great, Michelle. I know I will see you. We will continue to do this work because we're the two Michelles. We've got work to do. You know? we, <laughs> we we've do. got work to it, do. Thank you. It's always so good talking to you. Thank you for everything that you do, and thank you for having me on the show. Well, um, and I hope that next year we can plant and, and that your, the earth recovers because that's one of the beauties of it. Unless we, you know, no matter how hard we try, Mother Earth comes back. And so I look forward to seeing that. Okay? I am looking forward to not seeing a lot of weeds out on that 40 acres. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Okay, well, look, I will talk to you very soon. Um, Enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you again. Thank you. Have a terrific weekend. Bye-bye. I want to thank today's guest, Michelle Regalado Dietrich. Michelle is chairwoman of the Democratic National Committee's Environmental and Climate Council that was established at the party's summer meeting in San Francisco this past August. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of air intersectionality, and creating change right here 
on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.